Hi G2. Today and for the next few weeks we are going to be looking at the book of Philippians. Now I pray regularly for us as a church. I often spend time um, asking God what, what he's saying to us and seeking the Holy Spirit, praying, praying for us as a whole church and listening to God. And during one of my prayer times a few weeks ago I felt prompted to read the book of Philippians and as I read it I really felt that God was um, giving a message through this book for us as a community at this time as we start meeting again together in person. Now obviously um, if you're watching this then that means you've not been able to um, come to our, our Sunday gathering today but nevertheless I do feel like there is a, a message here from, from God to all of us as a G2 community. Now if you um, have ever never read the book of um, Philippians then you might not know it is a letter and it's written by Paul the Apostle and he's writing to the church in Philippi. Now, lots of the books in the New Testament are letters from Paul, but this one's a little bit different. Um, lots of his letters, like, for example, Colossians and Galatians, um, he is responding to a crisis. So he's writing to a church that is in crisis to impart some wisdom and advice and to help them out. But this letter to the church in Philippi, um, it, it's not in crisis. He's, that's not what he's doing. He's actually in prison and um, he's just writing to some friends. He he's planted the church in Philippi, he started it, he gathered those people, he trained and equipped them and then he's um, he left and ended up in prison. So this letter is just a little bit different really because he's just writing to some friends and it's very much um, a message of encouragement for them and, uh, and I think that um, what we will find is some encouragement for us as well. And perhaps that's why, as I read Philippians, I was, I was drawn to it a few weeks ago and I really connected with it. Obviously, I've not been in prison for any stretch of time at all. I've never been in prison um, or suffer, you know, I've not been suffering in any way. Um, but I have missed you all over the last year. Um, I, back in March, I became interim leader um, of G2. And as part of that, as part of sort of discerning if that's what God was calling to me, uh, calling me to, um, it, it, it was me dis discerning my whole call into ministry. Um, and I really felt that call about seven years ago that I've, I felt like God was sort of calling me into ministry and into leadership. Um, I've been pretty much called all my life to lead. I've always ended up um, leading. But more, more importantly than being called into ministry and called into leadership, I feel called to G2. I, I feel called to this church and to serve here, to serve to serve you um, as, as part of the church here. Um, and um, as God spoke to me more and more about that, I knew he was calling me to step up as Christian moved on um, back in, uh, well, it happened in March. Um, so yeah, I sort of, I, I feel connected to this letter because I, I equally feel affection for you, the same affection that we see in this letter as Paul writes to the church in Philippi. I share that affection for, for this church, for, for G2, and I, I felt um, really stirred as I read it that, that God was stirring up something in me to, to share with, with you over the next few weeks. Um, and so as I read the letter, there were four key sections that stuck out to me that I feel are for us in this season. There's four things that I think God wants to encourage us in um, and I want to encourage us in over the month of July. And the first one is abounding love. 
So let's read uh, Philippians 1. Let's start at the start. We're going to start at verse 7. So if you've got a Bible or you're following along, then um, open your Bible now. It's always better to to open it up and and read along too. So we're going to start at verse 7 in Philippians 1. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Paul says, since I have you in my heart. Now, the original Greek word in this sentence where we have the word heart was the word splagnon. That's a great word, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right at all, but let's just do it in a really Yorkshire sort of splagnon kind of a way. And it actually doesn't really translate as the word heart. Um, It more closely means internal organs. So it's like the heart, the lungs, the liver, the the important ones kind of thing. can also be translated as bowels. Um, I don't really think we have this kind of language in English. Like we might say that we feel something in our gut, but I don't think that you'd ever say to someone, um, I hold you dearly in my bowels. Like it doesn't really work in the same way. But um, the point is that it's bigger than heart. It's Paul, Paul isn't just saying like, I have you in my heart. He's kind of saying, I hold you in all of me. It's, it's like all of everything that's within me holds you dearly kind of thing. Um, from his inner organs, that's what he's saying. And the people that he's writing to in, uh, in Philippi, he probably knows all of them by name. And that's really important to remember. Like, I would assume that the church will have grown since he left and moved on. So he might not literally know every single person really, really closely, but I'd say most of them he's going to have a personal relationship with. Um, Many of them he would probably have led to Jesus. He would have preached the gospel and he would have witnessed them becoming believers and committing to following Jesus. He will have trained them. He will have equipped them. He will have released them to then lead the church when he moved on. And he did all that within three months. So it's probably like quite an intense time that he was with them. Probably a bit like that, you know, that first term where you arrive at university and it's just so intense because you're all all together um, and like living every day together. And so, of course, it makes sense that he holds them dearly and that he loves them. But verse eight shows us that it is actually from the affection of Jesus Christ that powers this love. It's not from Paul's splagnon. It's not from his own splagnon. It's from Jesus's splagnon um, that, that this affection comes. And when he says he loves them, really it's Jesus's love that they are experiencing. But through him, it's you know, it's both. It's not like, oh, this isn't my love. This is Jesus's love. It's both because Paul obviously is a, you know, a, a, an amazing follower of Jesus and he and he holds Jesus in his heart too. But he's, he's sharing that love that comes through from Jesus through Paul to to share that with the people in Philippi. 
Um, and then he, he goes on to say, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And this is the bit that really stood out to me. This is where I think we need to begin as a community, as we gather again, as we look to the future and start thinking about what does church look like in this next season? And, and I think lots of people are asking that question, not just about church, but about life. You know, what 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 remains after all of this as we begin to rebuild what, what does this look like? And I think we start with love. I, I pray that our love may abound more and more. And when I say that, I don't just mean feelings, that we feel more love and we feel more, you know, all that like wishy-washy love kind of stuff that you'd get in a movie. But as Paul says, in, in knowledge and in depth of insight, so what does that mean, like knowledge and depth of insight when it comes to love? Well, I've been married for 15 years and I mean, I hope this isn't a massive shock to Luke, but I don't wake up every day feeling totally in love with Luke, like with that. I don't wake up every day with those feelings that I had in the first few months of our relationship. I do love him. Of course I love him. I love him deeply but my love comes out of knowledge of him like I know him I know him really really well and my love comes from Jesus I love Luke because I love Jesus and Luke loves Jesus and that ties us together I know what sacrificial love looks like because of Jesus and therefore I know what it means to sacrificially love Luke and my my kids and my friends like th this love doesn't only just apply to to marriage um but it comes from this depth of insight this this deep knowledge um and comes from knowing that he wants the best for me that Luke wants the best for me even when it doesn't it might not always feel like that you know that that when the feelings are aside when, and obviously love is a feeling as well, but there's this deeper love which comes from a depth of insight and a knowledge. And that's that's really what Paul's talking about as he writes to, to the church in, in Philippi, that it isn't, I guess it isn't a feeling, it's a choice that he, he's praying that their love would abound, that would be abounding from a choice and that choice grows out of this, this depth of insight. And so I think God is calling us as a church to grow in love, love for Jesus and love for one another. And as you think about the people in G2 that, that you know, let's start with your friends, your community, your small group, that, the people that you know in G2. And then let's open that up to, to your acquaintances, people you don't know very well, but you know, you'd know their face. And then there'll be people that you don't know at all in G2, people you've never spoken to. So as you picture all those people, then the question is, how can you love them more? And, and that, that question is to, to each of you, to everyone, how can each of us love each other more and grow in that love and press into that love? How can we actively choose to love one another? 
Now, we've always been a church that's quite focused on our Sunday gathering. That's been sort of the main event. And then there's other things that happen, like small groups, like um, outreach projects, student nights, social events, prayer nights, other things going on. But Sunday is like the main point of of church. That's that's what that's often what you'd say, like I'm going to church and you mean I'm going to the Sunday gathering. But what if we flipped that? What if church was actually lots and lots of small groups of people? And I'm not necessarily talking about our fire groups here, but I'm talking about small communities, small groups of people who are living out Jesus's love for each other. And then Sunday was like the extra bit, you know, the bit that that you'd come to to celebrate together, to gather together, um, to to worship, really. But it's but it's in our small groups of people that that we can really exercise and practice and commit to loving one another. Right now, we're we're a small gathering, um, as lots of people are away or unable to come at the moment. But I think by October we will be much bigger again. We will have freshers uh, and other students trying us out and joining us and, and, and deciding what church to go to. Um, we'll have people returning um, when they feel more confident um, because they've been vaccinated or hopefully things are, are looking better with um, COVID. And at that point, when you look around the room and ask the question, how can I love everyone here? What can I do to love everyone here? I think then it might feel really impossible, actually, because when you've got 100 people in, in, in your community, in your church, how, how can you possibly actively choose to love every single one of them? That I'm, I, don't, I don't think you can. So I think if we want to... Um, be a church that prioritises love, and I think that's what God is calling us to, then I think we do have to go smaller and we have to really press into the smaller and prioritise that so that we can so we can do it. Because you can do that if you're in um, a committed small group. Um, and, and like I say, I'm not talking about our fire groups. I'm not talking about a structure here. This isn't like a a secret plug to kind of everybody should be in a fire group and actually most people are in a fire group at the moment but uh, I'm not I'm talking I'm talking about pressing into the small in whatever that looks like um, as we go forward. Paul then goes on to say so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I'll just read that bit again because it's a little bit wordy. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So first of all, the word blameless here is not the same as sinless. He's not saying so that you may be sinless for the day of Christ. Um, it doesn't It doesn't mean so that you will have done nothing wrong because we know that, you know, we are all sinners and that that isn't a goal that we can reach for. But blameless is more about not causing other people to stumble. So Paul doesn't say here, this is what he doesn't say, that you may be able to discern, so that you may be able to discern what is best for you. He's not saying for you. He's saying what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what he means is what is best for everyone so that you may discern what is best for everyone 
pure and blameless. So he's what, what, what he's talking about is discern together out of love what is best for everyone so that we don't cause other people to stumble. Because our faith journey and our discipleship journey is intrinsically linked to the people around us, to our community in G2, to, to our friends that we journey with. And so we're all connected in this way. And decisions that we make that we might think, well, this is best for me, so I'm going to do this, ultimately has an impact on other people and may or may not cause other people to stumble. And we don't want that because we want to be blameless. We want to be free and we want to be pressing into love, which means discerning what is best together. And ultimately that comes down to being accountable and holding each other accountable for the decisions we make, for the actions that we take. And as we um, read scriptures together and as we pray together um, and we assume the best for one another, then we can grow together as a community, you know, really figuring out what does this mean? What, what does the scripture mean when it says that? Rather than what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me in my context? It's not about me. It is about a community. It is about growing together. And so once again, this comes down to the need for smaller groups of people, because as a group of 60 or 100 people that we might um, get on a Sunday in, in our gathering, we can't all hold each other accountable in that way. We can't all discern what scripture means and ask difficult questions in a group that large. That isn't feasible. Or if we tried it, I think it would take a very long time for everyone to have their opinion and to pray through it all. So again, if we look at what Paul's saying in terms of love and then in terms of accountability and discerning together, we have to come back to the small. That I think that is where God is leading us, that we have to prioritise our uh, meeting in smaller groups. Um, and like I say, I'm not, I'm not talking about fire groups and I'm not even, this isn't like a message for you that you should commit to your fire group. I think as a church, we need to all press into the, the, the smaller, accountable, the places where we can exercise love. And as a church, we need to figure out what that looks like. What, how can we do that better? What changes do we need to make um, to, to make that work for us? And the system that we've currently got of fire groups, that's just that's just our system right now. But we don't want the system to become the idol. Um, we want to be open to to whatever works in the next season. And it might not be the system that we've got right now. And the last part of this passage, it, it says this, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And you can see Paul's heart for them here in these words. He says um, that the God who saved them would also grow them. That's what that means, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Basically, they would be filled with the signs of a good person. That, that, that's another way of putting it, not, not as good a way of putting it, to be honest. 
And I, I love that Paul doesn't just pray for those things directly, which is what I think sometimes we do. Like he doesn't say, I pray that you will be kind and you will be gentle and you will be honest and that you will have integrity and you will love each other. He doesn't um, say that. I mean, how often do we pray that kind of prayer? Like I pray that this week you will be kind and I pray that you will that you will be gentle. Um, and when we do that, I think it's kind of like skipping out the middle, the middle bit and we're just praying straight for the results. But notice here that, that Paul is praying for the fruit. That's what he wants. He, he, and the fruit only comes from Jesus and us working together. That's the only way of getting that fruit. It doesn't come from our hard work or our trying harder. And often when we when we pray that prayer, when we say like, oh, I pray, even if we might pray it for ourselves, I pray that I'd be kind this week. Really, we're, we're kind of hoping to just skip to the end and, and, and just try harder at being kindness. But Paul is praying for the fruit of righteousness um, for the people in Philippi. And I think God is encouraging us that he will give us the fruit of righteousness, that, that that is the encouragement for us, that is the invitation and that is what is on offer. We are rescued by God's grace, but by faith we grow. It's not just automatic. Growth is not just automatic if we turn up to church every week. It doesn't Turning up doesn't just mean that we grow more like Jesus. We often talk about calling and many of us are trying to work out what God is calling us to. But I think that the first will of God when it comes to calling is that you will be more like Jesus. Whatever you actually do with your time, God's will is that you will look and and smell and sound and act more like Jesus and that is reflected in the way we love because so much of Jesus's character we see in the way he loved other people. A couple of years ago we were holding um, a leadership meeting where we chat through the next few, um, few weeks and we would pray together and we would plan and equip leaders um, uh, just sort of a general leadership meeting, but it was equipping and it was sharing ideas and that kind of vibe. And on the day of the meeting, somebody texted me to say that they couldn't come anymore and they asked if I could send them the notes so that they could catch up. The problem is there weren't any notes. It's not like when you miss a lecture at uni or um, maybe miss something at work and, and you can your friend gives you the notes. The whole meeting was a discussion yeah, there was a, a bit of a plan of, of what we would discuss. The meeting was the prayer and the worship. It was listening to God and it was listening to each other. That's what the meeting was. It was learning from one another. It was sharing stories, sharing what had gone well, what hadn't gone well, sharing stories of friends journeying towards Jesus to encourage each other. And any notes that I made on the night wouldn't mean anything to anyone that wasn't there. Imagine not being able to make someone's birthday party, uh, you know, and, and instead saying, sorry, I can't come to your birthday party, but could you just send me a summary of what happens? Or imagine not being able to play in a football match or a netball match and, and saying to a friend that's there, could you just write down what happened so I can, I can catch up and I can read about it? It wouldn't work, would it? 
it would be absolutely awful to to just read notes on someone's party or a, or a, some sort of sport match. You have to be there, even if you go to watch football. It's interactive. You sing and you chant. You eat pies at half time. That's all part of the experience is being there. And I think one of the um, probably one of the scariest things for me over the last year is that in this culture and society that we now live in, it's easy for church to become a bit like that. It's something that you watch, something you someone could send you notes on, or even that it becomes a bit like a hobby. It's something you do or something you go to. And for me, being online like we are now has been necessary. Of course it has. But it's not desirable because it has been something you watch. Like Netflix or Instagram Reels. It's become something you observe, something you flick through. Or maybe just flick through the worship, skip to the talk. Oh, I don't really like this talk. Maybe I'll just skip through and get the the notice, the important information. Maybe I'll just like listen, have it on in the background while I'm doing something else. It's become something you observe and then you review and critique rather than something you are part of. But the goal of being a Christian, if there is a goal of being a Christian, is not to watch church um, once a week or, or tune into your favourite church online or even attend church once a week. The goal isn't sort of self-improvement, self-help, be better. The goal isn't to change your behaviour. Our goal is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us at all. And maybe you've heard the message over your time of, of going to church or being a Christian, come to church and, and don't drink as much. Or maybe you've heard the message, come to church and also maybe don't sleep with other people. <coughs> if you've heard the message that you should be better, if you've heard the message that you should read the Bible more and you should work hard, etc., then I'm sorry. I'm sorry if we've communicated that. And honestly, I think we have. I think too many people that are young in their faith have heard that message. Come to church and be better, improve. Rather than the message of spending time with Jesus and allowing him to change us, which will happen. And if our goal as Christians, therefore, is to grow more in love with Jesus and for Jesus to be to, to fill us with the fruits of the Spirit, then as a church, our goal is to empower people to do that and to follow Jesus into what they're called to. The goal isn't to transform your life, though. That's not the aim. The aim is Jesus and the transformation is what happens. Yeah, of course we have to make a daily decision to follow Jesus, to be more like him. We, we do need to read our Bible. We can't get away from that. We do need to know him. We do need to spend time worshipping him because that is spending time with him, spend time praying, talking to him. But not so that we can be better, not so that we can improve or get some self-help. It's so that we can spend time with him. And so I think this is what God is saying to us right now. 
I think his prayer for G2 is that our love would abound more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is best for all of us. So we won't cause others to stumble, to keep our eyes on Jesus and to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes only through Jesus. And all of this is for God's glory and praise. Would you join God in that prayer for you and for us as a community? Would you pray that for yourself and for others? Would you step into this encouragement of abounding love? Let's pray. God, I'm sorry for the times that we have got this wrong as a church. I'm sorry for the times where we have turned our church community into a self-help group and we have shared the message of improvement. And thank you, God, for this message of encouragement. And we pray with you that our love would abound more in knowledge and depth of insight. We pray, God, that you would help us to discern what is best for all of us. God, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes only through Jesus. And God, turn our lives into lives that are for your glory and your praise. Amen.